Good morning, Cornerstone Church. What is the difference between a lion born and raised in a cage versus a lion that is born and raised in the wilderness? Almost everything. Zuri was a 13-year-old lion who had been born and raised at the zoo in Indianapolis. She was a big and docile cat who loved her toys, who loved to spend time with Alex, her mate of 10 years. A big kitten is what she was. But one day, after Zuri had turned 12 years old, this big she-lion did something that shocked the entire staff at the zoo. Zuri attacked Alex. That's what she did. She just got up for no reason, walked over to him, and started striking him violently with her trimmed down claws. Everybody was shocked. And her handler started working with her on a regular basis, trying, trying to figure out what had happened to Zuri the lion. They changed her diet. They gave her more space. They decluttered her cage. And most importantly, they kept her away from Alex for six months. And once Zuri seemed to come back to normal, they reintroduced the two of them. And for a couple weeks, everything was fine. They thought they had solved the problem, but it happened again. One day, Zuri just stood up from lying down and walked over without a roar, without any warning, and she assaulted Alex again. Even Alex was surprised. And after they had exhausted every solution they could think of, they finally called a psychiatrist. They went through their checklist of all the things they had done to try to bring Zuri back to normal. And it didn't take the psychiatrist very long to diagnose Zuri's problem. In fact, her struggle was right there before them in plain sight all along. The psychiatrist concluded that Zuri was miserable. And when they heard the news, the staff became incredulous. Miserable? How could she be miserable? We feed her three times, sometimes four times in a day. She always has fresh water. Her cage is always clean. We give her plenty of toys. Miserable? How could Zuri possibly be miserable? The psychiatrist explained that a lion is designed to thrive in the wild, not in a cage. 
Captivity, confinement, and isolation was causing Zuri psychological distress and physiological strain. What is the difference between a caged lion and a free lion? The answer is quite simple. It's the cage. A free lion is adaptable because of its myriad of experiences in the wild. But Zuri, this big lion, Zuri is limited. She has no experience beyond her cage. A free lion exercises, a free lion develops all of her instincts by hunting daily. Zuri the zoo lion is underdeveloped because she gets her food for free. A free lion has muscles. Zuri is obese. A free lion is confident. Zuri is anxious and insecure. Zuri is miserable because she has lived her entire life in a cage. Go to the zoo in Indianapolis to see her and look into her eyes. There is nothing there. She is empty inside. She does not know why, but instinctively, Zuri knows that there is more to her than she is able to express. Somewhere deep inside, Zuri knows that there is a magnificent truth that she is not able to prove. But this is not a sermon about lions. It's a sermon about us. Humanity is miserable. We are suffering. Suffering from the great indignity of the sin that encases and encapsulates us. Suffering from the sin that inhabits us. The sin that holds us hostage, insecure and afraid both of life and of death underdeveloped in ways that make us ill-equipped for becoming all that we were made to be. Our growth is stunted naturally, psychologically, physically, and spiritually. We have no room to roam, we have no place to go, we have no space to grow. And somewhere deep within, we, just like Zuri, we know that there is much more to us than we can either express or prove. But we know it's true. You followed the story last week, I'm sure, about the submersive vessel that was lost at sea. Eight passengers are reported dead due to the pressures of the depth of the ocean that collapsed their vessel. And one of the cable news stations that I listen to often brought on an adventurer to help us understand what may have happened to this vessel. But the conversation took an interesting turn as the interviewer pressed this adventurer to explain just what it is that draws them to attempt such dangerous, such ill-advised feats. 
What is it that makes you want to do that? Risk your life for a thrill. What is it that motivates you? And the adventurer, adventurer, he passionately tried to explain that people like him want to fly higher than the meager 10,000 feet that most airplanes cruise at. They want to go higher. They want to go deeper than the mere 1,000 feet where submarines are most comfortable. They want to go deeper. They want to push the boundaries. They want to break the records. And the reporter sat there mystified. And when he finished with his passionate explanation, she shook her head again and said, but why? She couldn't understand his reasoning. Because of those eight people whose bodies lie now at the bottom of the sea, she couldn't understand it. But once removed from the trauma of that moment, I'm certain that she, just like us, can understand plainly what drives people like this. We were made for more. We were made for freedom. But we are not free. And our captivity makes us miserable. We want to break all of the bounds, break all of the rules, rules break out of our environment and be something greater. And because we cannot, humanity is suffering. And it is this suffering that Paul has been trying to describe to us since chapter seven of the book of Romans. He has taken his time to teach us about the infection of sin that marks us for destruction, the sin that inhabits our beings, the sin that controls most of our decisions. And now today in very somber terms, Paul describes for us the effects of our burden of sin within. The effects of sin upon our emotions, our psychology, but he begins in verse 18 with a hopeful note. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Taken out of context, as we very often do, taking out, taken out of context, all of the surrounding verses, one might imagine that Paul is talking about the persecution of the saints. We can suffer persecution because we were sure of the glory that's going to be revealed. But when you read what Paul is saying in the context of the sin and the bondage that he's been describing to this point, we know that Paul is not talking about Christian persecution. Paul is talking about the suffering that derives from the inglorious life. The insult of the sin that inhabits us. Everything God made in the beginning was glorious. God said so himself. Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. All that God created, he said, was very good, even glorious. Every plant could sprout at will. Every stream gushed with fresh water at all times. The earth was always ripe for planting and for harvesting. There was no care in the world, in this world. But after the sin of our parents, Adam and Eve, everything changed. The earth became semi-uninhabitable. 
The skies became threatening. The glory of God was removed from his creation and our glory has been overshadowed by the deep darkness of unrelenting and pervasive sin, the very opposite of glory. And all of creation sees it. All of creation feels it. Humanity especially knows that we are supposed to be glorious. We were made for glory. All of humanity knows that behind our apparent limitations, there resides a character who is completely free, free to do, free to think the highest thoughts, free to roam wherever our hearts may desire, free to be who and what we truly are. But as Paul implies to us here, our glory has been hidden from us. Our lights are blocked by the bushes of sin and our glory has yet to be disclosed, yet to be revealed. Everybody knows that man was made for glory. God knows that he designed us for glory. Satan knows that we were made for glory, that we are glorious. Even creation knows that humankind Though we walk about like peasants, that we were made for royalty, even creation knows. Paul says in verse 19 that the creation eagerly awaits, the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God. <laughs> creation herself yearns for humanity's full disclosure. Creation itself hope for the day when mankind will become who mankind was meant to be. Creation yearns for humanity to find its way home to the God who made us. But most of humanity is far from home. I am reminded of the prodigal son, born into wealth and royalty and prominence, but because of one poor decision, he finds himself at home with the pigs. He takes his meals with the swine. He sleeps with the hogs. Such is the plight of humanity since the sin of our first parents. But creation holds out hope for us. Creation hopes that one day we will be awakened like the prodigal son, that one day we will come to ourselves that one day we'll find our way back to our Father's house. Creation holds out hope for us. Does creation have compassion on humanity? Does creation feel sorry for us? No. Creation hopes for our restoration because the creation's destiny is eternally intertwined with our own. Paul explains this. In verse 20, that the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, as God passes judgment on Adam and on Eve because of their willful sin, God declares to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. You did this. Cursed is creation because of you. 
all of creation because of Adam and Eve. All of creation is subject to futility, brought to nothing because of mankind's sin. Mankind was made to be overseers of God's creation, masters of our environment, but our sin set off a chain reaction in that everything connected to mankind and anything dependent upon us for its survival, for its thriving, it has been negatively impacted because of our disobedience. But still, creation holds out hope for us. Hope that when the sons and daughters are finally revealed, verse 21, that creation itself also will be set free. Creation hopes for my freedom because creation hopes for its own freedom. It hopes that at the revelation of the sons and daughters of God that creation itself will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And we learn something here. We learn here that the glory that Paul is talking about in these passages is the glory of freedom. And in many ways, freedom and glory are the same. Even amongst fallen humanity today, the ones with the most acclaim experience the greatest access. Within the limitations of the sin that encases all of us, the rich and the well-off, the famous and the infamous, tend to be granted more freedom than the rest of us. What Paul is lamenting since chapter 7 then is the fact that we are all in bondage, that we are not free. The things we want to do, we cannot do. The things we do not want to do, we continually do. We are wretched, Paul says. We are in bondage, limited by sin, exiled away from our truest nature, enslaved to corruption and futile. That causes suffering. For we know, Paul says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The earth, Paul says, is experiencing pain, cosmic pain. Wow. And not just pain, but the pains of childbirth, the pains of labor. Now for a woman, women know this, for a woman, the first stage of labor lasts for an average of 14 hours. That's the first stage, the easiest stage. The second stage of labor lasts an average of eight hours. But the final stage, the active stage of labor as they call it, it can last for six hours. The active stage of labor is the most painful stage of labor. And this is the stage of labor Paul is describing, about, is describing to us here. He says that creation has been in the active stage of labor since the fall of Adam and Eve. Now men, men can't really understand what that means, but any woman who has born a child can understand the earth, creation itself, has been in labor pains since the fall of Adam and Eve. Creation has been suffering for thousands and thousands of years, uninterrupted, relentless, un unending labor pain. Can you imagine that, ladies? Labor pain that never ceases for a thousand years and more. 
And no matter how hard creation tries to push and breathe and push and breathe, no gift comes from her womb, just more pain. The earth is suffering, creation is suffering, and not only that, Paul says, but also we ourselves. Not only is creation suffering, not only is creation in pain, but also we ourselves. I told you in the beginning that humanity is in pain. And yet the pain humanity feels is far more aggressive, far more excruciating than anything creation can even imagine. Of all of God's creation, mankind is the most miserable. The misery of hopelessness and futility colors our vision. When I was a young man, there were people in our neighborhood who seemed to be somewhat off. We had one guy, he used to walk in the middle of the street, he thought he was a car. And he'd walk in the middle of the street shifting gears. Everywhere he went, he walked shifting gears. He thought he was a car. We had another person who thought he was like three different people. You see him one day, his name is John, next day his name is James, next day his name is Tony. Very odd, unusual people. I was always very scared of people like that. Maybe you are too. People who seem to be unhinged and off balance always make me, ah, I gotta stay away from you. I don't know what's going on with you. One day I was around 30 years old and I realized what the problem really is. Hold on to your seat. I was afraid of them because I was afraid of myself. Because what is wrong with them is that they are in pain and their pain has caused so much pressure that it has damaged their minds. And we all know that though we are stable right now, all of us, all of creation is in pain. <laughs> and some of us are closer to insanity than we are to good health, it's the truth. Depression is running rampant. Anxiety is running rampant. Do you know why? The world is in pain. Mankind is in pain. It doesn't understand what the solution is. All it knows is that I am not what I am supposed to be. That's what's going on in our culture right now. I am not in the right body. I am not in the right frame. I am not in the, you are dissatisfied with yourself because of pain. You're trying to become something different. Not realize that no matter what you come as, become, as long as you're under the sun, you will be in pain. You will suffer the pain of dissatisfaction. As long as you're here, no matter what you do. As long as sin inhabits your body, you will be in pain. You will be subjected and enslaved by a sinful nature that wants to drive you further and further down. That causes despair to many. The misery of hopelessness. The futility of life colors the vision. 
When you get a chance and you're not feeling real religious, you can read this book and be really religious. When, you, when you're not feeling real religious, go and read Ecclesiastes. And don't read it like a devotion, just read what Solomon is saying. When you come to realize that Solomon was in a whole lot of pain. Vanity and vexation of spirit, all this vanity and the vexation of spirit. There is nothing new under the sun. Solomon was in pain and he was anxious because he could not become what he wanted to be. He had made the biggest houses. He had built the biggest fountains. He had all the wives he could ever desire. He kept building and building and building, but nothing could satisfy him because he is bigger than all of this and he cannot prove it. Vanity, the vexation of spirit. And this is why Solomon says, Solomon says, do not become too wise. Why destroy yourself before your time? I've read, that, I've read that verse of many a day, man, and just sit and say, what, what is this guy? What was he on? Solomon was the wisest man to ever live. Solomon said, don't you follow me. Do not get too wise. Because when you figure out what's going on in this world, you're going to get depressed. There is nothing new under the sun. What has been will be. What will be has already been. There is nothing new here. It is monotony. The sun rises in the east and sets in the west every day, over and over and over again. You cannot break out of this cosmic bubble. Oh, man. You didn't come for this from the day, did you? This is the reality of existence in the world for every man, for every woman, for every child. And this causes us to suffer. Solomon was suffering. <laughs> Some of the smartest people you ever meet are, are schizophrenic. They're not crazy, they just see the reality of it all. <laughs> and they can't contain themselves. We see the same reality, but thank God we're, we're not as in such despair as they are. This hopelessness, this sense of futility nearly drives us insane and some of us do go insane. This misery is the inheritance of every person who has not submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. Their lives are futile. They are chasing after the wind. They will never know and they will never embrace the capacity to become all that they were meant to be, hemmed in by the misery of a sinful life, sold out to their sinful inclinations. And so they dive to the depths of the sea looking for their greatness down there. They plot trips to go to Mars and to faraway galaxies hoping and praying that there they will find the Holy Grail that tells them something of themselves that they did not understand. Searching high and searching low to prove to themselves that they have no limits, no limitations, but they are deceiving themselves. Their greatness and their glory does not exist out there somewhere. The greatness that they seek, the greatness that humankind seeks, 
The glory that they desire is found only in Jesus Christ. Their adventures are senseless. And all they really prove is the lengths to which mankind is willing to go to find some sense of self-satisfaction. And for a moment they escape the misery of the world while they're out there, while they're in the depths of the sea, while they're at the top of Mount Everest. For a moment they escape reality. Their hearts are full. They feel fulfilled inside, but as soon as the trip is over, as soon as they come down from Mount Everest, as soon as the vessel brings them back up to the shore, that same pain, the groaning, the weeping, and the wailing return to them like a long lost friend. You cannot avoid the misery of sinful captivity. No adventure, nothing that you do can give you reprieve from the sufferings that are part and parcel of this existential reality that we all experience. I'm talking about the unbeliever. But what about the believer? What about us? The sinner, the unregenerate person, is subjected to pain and to suffering by the hand of God. The sinner's pain is the same pain that creation feels. The sinner is hoping to find his glory in education or in wealth, by some accomplishment or by some remarkable feat. The unbeliever looks for glory in his house and in his car, in his network and in his net worth. But the believer suffers even more. What you say? The believer suffers even more. Paul says here, we ourselves, talking to us, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves. Christians grown within ourselves. You thought that getting saved was gonna give you a reprieve from the suffering of the world. No, it just makes it a little worse. It just makes it more difficult. We're gonna see why in a minute. He says, even we ourselves, we grown within ourselves. We groan just like creation groans. The believer groans just like the sinner groans. But our groan is a groan of hope. The sinner's groan is a groan of desperation. You see, you see the sinner is waiting to hit the lottery, whereby he thinks all of his problems will be resolved. The sinner is waiting to graduate from college where he believes he'll finally feel that sense of fulfillment that he seeks. The sinner groans, but what the sinner groans for is more and more of the same, futility. More money, more fame, more success. But the advantage the sinner has is this, at least the sinner can see the end of his rainbow. At least the sinner can actually affect his destiny to some degree. At least the pathway to his accomplishment is for the most part within his ability to achieve. 
At least he can see the end goal. But when the believer groans, we groan for something no human has ever seen or experienced save Jesus Christ. What we groan for is far beyond our capacity to assume or to achieve. Because the believer groans for the impossible, the believer yearns for the invisible, we seek for, we earnestly desire to be completely free. Free from the pressures of society, free from the class system of the world, free from the hamster wheel of futility to which we are now subject. We seek for glory, we seek for freedom. And this glory that we seek is a glory that is not bestowed by the hands of men or by the will of mankind. The believer seeks to be clothed with the glory of the almighty God himself. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We don't groan on the outside. We don't phone a friend to groan because we're not looking to anything in this world to answer our cry. We know that the glory we desire will come from within, where Jesus Christ is seated at the helm of our hearts and of our minds. We groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as the sons and daughters of God. We groan quietly, we groan within ourselves because our flesh, our carnal nature cannot help us in our quest. There is no exterior remedy for the trouble that we see. We're in trouble, we're in a good kind of trouble. We are troubled when we consider the fact that even though we have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are still connected to this fallen world. We groan. Even though we have received Jesus Christ, we are still vulnerable to unrighteous inclinations. We groan. And yet we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit within us. The first fruits of the Spirit is God's down payment and God's guarantee to us of our future glory. It's a down payment. He's Calvin, one day I'm going to bring you and give you eternal life and I'm going to completely glorify you. But for now, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You're not completely made yet, but this is my down payment, my guarantee of the glory that will be revealed in you one day. And every time you start groaning, every time you start feeling frustrated, lean on the Spirit so that he can tell you of the things that belong to Christ. And because you belong to Christ, he'll tell you of the things that belong to you. You are an heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And when you're feeling down, the Holy Spirit says, let me show you something that's going to be yours one day. Look at this mansion. It belongs to Jesus, therefore it belongs to you one day. Keep hope. I know that you're groaning right now. I know that it's difficult right now, but keep hope. Because one day your glory will be revealed. Uh, mm -hmm. Because we have the Holy Spirit within us, we do sense that what we are seeking does exist. That simple taste of the Holy Spirit is a hint for me. 
It's a breadcrumb for me to keep seeking, to keep looking, to keep knocking, to keep hoping. Hoping for what now? Okay, hoping for what? Let's get to the bottom line of all of this. What are you talking about? What glory is this that you're imagining, Calvin? I'll tell you what it is. Paul tells us what it is. Paul explains that the person who is saved, Paul explains that the person who has the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within him earnestly seeks the redemption of our bodies. That's what he said. The redemption of our bodies. This is what we're waiting for. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're earnestly desiring. The redemption of our bodies. That our bodies will be completely released from servitude to all sin. Entirely unchained from the lust that binds us. Wholly set free from the bondages and the strongholds that hem us in and stunt our growth. The redemption of our bodies. We are lions in cages. But through the bars of our sinful imprisonment, we envision by faith the open fields and the highest plains of glory. We, by faith, foresee the glory that God has set before us. We hope for the day that we will cast off this sin-infected body and be released into the newness of eternal life, resurrected. Paul says, don't let that surprise you, verse 24, because in hope we've been saved. You're saved because you hope. You're saved because you earnestly desire Christ and to believe the gospel. In hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. <laughs> hope that you can already taste, feel, and touch and see, that's not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? The children of God believe for a type of existence that we cannot see. And to make our hope even more audacious, we hope for a type of existence that no one has ever seen. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. This is the hope that saved us, the hope that Jesus Christ raised physically and bodily from the dead. And because we believe that Jesus rose physically and bodily from the dead, we also believe that by that same spirit, God can cause us to experience that same kind of resurrection, the redemption of my body. But even Jesus Christ himself was not resurrected in the light of day. There is no detailed description in any of the gospels of exactly how Jesus' resurrection unfolded. It all happened behind the stone of a tomb. After the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when we are introduced to Jesus again, the only hints we're given as to what took place behind that stone that hemmed him in is that his grave clothes were neatly folded and laid within that tomb. We, we see two angels standing, one at the head and one at the foot of where Jesus' body had been laid. That's it. That's all we see. We don't understand how resurrection actually takes place. 
And if we could see it, there would be no reason to hope for it. We hope for what we have never seen. And because we don't understand how resurrection takes place, we have no way of accelerating our own redemption. We do not know how the whole process of our bodily redemption might occur. We firmly believe what the Bible says, that in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed and we will be like Jesus. But still, it is a hope. And it is purely hope. There is nothing we can do in the meantime as we await our final adoption, our formal adoption as the children. There is nothing we can do in the meantime, and that is painful. That's the painful part of our redemption. At least the sinner can make tangible progress toward his goals. Even if his goals are not, are not anchored in reality, at least he can see the goal. At least he can see and say that he tried his best. The saint cannot say that. Because we understand that our best is not good enough and that no amount of working, no amount of pretending, no amount of religion can elevate us to anywhere near the place where God desires us to be. All we can do is hope. And the most frustrated believer is the one who is trying to prove that he is in fact a child of God. That is the most miserable of all believers, just like Zuri in her cage assaulting Alex, trying to prove that she is queen of the jungle. But it's a cage for goodness sake. Are you trying to be queen of a cage? What exactly are you trying to prove, Zuri? That you're more powerful than Alex? Both Alex and you are in the exact same situation. Both you and Alex desire the same thing, your freedom, your glory. It is a waste of your time, Zuri, comparing your obesity to Alex's obesity. You're both just that. You're both just inflexible. You're both just as diminished as the other. Zuri, your glory is not in defeating Alex. Your glory is in overcoming your own unnatural instincts to kill. Wait a minute, lions were made to kill. No, they weren't. You thought that you were made to kill your prey, Zuri. But believe it or not, Zuri, there was a time when you did not kill. There was a time and there was a place where you would lie down beside a lamb and the lamb would have no need to feel afraid, Zuri. Did you know that? There was a time when the massiveness of your muscles didn't even matter because the only time that you had to run was when you were playing with gazelles in the Garden of Eden. Zuri, did you know that? Do you know who you are? Hmm. Even what you would consider to be natural for your species is completely outside of your nature when you were first created by God. Zuri sits there in her cage and looks at me and says, I'm, I'm confused. You're telling me about a world that I've never seen. I've watched National Geographics. I'm in the zoo. They got televisions. I've watched National, National Geographics. I see what lions do in the wild. I was trying to be like the lions in the wild. I don't know who I would be. 
I don't know what this, this character you're describing, I don't even know what that would look like for me, a lion, to be peaceful and lay down with lambs. It sounds impossible. I have no idea what my true glory even looks like. Well, Zuri, join the club. Neither do I. <laughs> Neither do we. We've never seen it. But God knows what we were meant to be. And we have given over our lives to Jesus Christ so that Jesus Christ can help us, so that he can remake us, so that we can be conformed into the image of our Lord and Savior who is altogether glorious. This is what we hope for as believers, a glory that we do not see, a glory that we have never seen. And Paul concludes that as we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. And why are we so eager? Because the Holy Spirit who dwells within our hearts assures us that we shall be changed. Though we suffer now under the partial bondage to our sinful nature, we hold out hope that by the grace of God and by the testimony of our faith in Jesus Christ, that our bodies will be redeemed, that we will be rid of sin forever, and that the glory of the Lord our God shall be revealed in us. Yeah, man. I love the word of God. What am I saying then? What I'm saying then is that all of humanity is in the same situation. And we have no reason as the children of God to compare ourselves to the world or to look down on the world, to look down on anybody. We're, in the, we're all in the same situation. The only difference is we, the children of God, have been given his Holy Spirit within. And by his spirit, we can envision an existence for mankind that has never been seen, our future glory. And we yearn and we groan and we wait for the day when the sons and daughters of God will be revealed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the great mystery of our salvation. For our future hope of the redemption of our bodies. For the resurrection that is in store for all of the children of God. We pray, Lord God, that even though we are still partially in bondage to sin and to hurts and habits and hangups, that as much as is possible, the glory of God would shine through us. That men and women might know by our actions, our words, and our deeds that we are the children of God. Give us the strength to not faint. Give us persevering hearts. Allow us to see outside of the bubble of our current existence in creation and to see beyond into your kingdom, to see the life that awaits us on the other side. We thank you for the ability to hope beyond what we see. 
The faith that we have is a gift that comes to us from you. We pray that our strength would be faith, our faith would be strengthened. That our hope would be firm and secure. That our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the resurrection of the dead will remain. <laughs> and that in the end we shall be changed. And we shall become like you, Lord Jesus, because we will see you as you are. We eagerly await the day. In the meantime, fill us with your hope, your peace, your joy, and all the fruit of the Spirit to comfort us, to remind us of every precious promise that you have made to your children. Give us the ability to receive your promises by faith, to receive your Spirit, to commune with your Spirit, to be encouraged from within as we groan those words that we cannot express with our mouths. Hear our cry, satiate our appetite, quench our thirst with your living water. In Jesus' name, amen.